with worshiping together. And I want to ask you this question, and don't have to answer it. <laughs> it's rhetorical. Uh, if somebody asked you to describe the Christian life and what God wants from us more than anything else, what would your answer be? And if you said God wants ethical behavior out of me, well, that may be part of the part of the answer, but it's not the full answer, and it's really not the correct answer. If you said God wants religious ritual, you'd be wrong. If you said that God wants me to give money, uh, you'd be wrong. The essence of the Christian life can be summed up in two words, and it's love affair. That's right, love affair. If you go from Genesis to Revelation, any time that God wants us to understand the relationship that we have with him, he uses as an analogy or as a, as a picture for us, if you will, the picture of, of a man and wife or of two lovers. This, this is the picture that God chooses to, to use to help us understand our relationship with him. And so you need to understand today that the reason God created you, the reason you're on this earth, is so that God could love you. Did you know that? If you don't know that, then you don't know the most important thing in the world. When you went to school, you learned reading, writing, and arithmetic, but you probably didn't learn that God created you to love you. This is the most important thing you're going to know. And if that's the most important thing you're going to know, then the most important thing you're going to do is to respond to his love. We call this worship. Loving God is what worship is. Worshiping is loving God, expressing love to God. And if you miss this part of your life, then your life is a failure. If you miss out on on knowing that God loves you, and if you miss out on loving God in response, then you did not fulfill God's purpose for your life. Your life is a failure. Now, I want you, I want to just point out again before we go any further. Worship is not ritual. It's not just a routine. It's not just something that you do in church. It's something that you experience on a regular basis where you express your love to the Father. There is a, a book that came out, uh, 10,000 Ways to Say, I Love You. Well, we're not going to go through 10,000 ways this morning. <laughs> You'd be happy to know. We're going to just go through five ways to express your love to God. And the first way is by singing to him. Would you, uh, would you just read, read that verse with me? Sing out your thanks to him. Sing praises to our God. Now, why, why would we... Why, why would we do this? Why is this important to do this? Well, let me just back up for a minute and remind you, and you've heard this many, many times, you, I want to remind you of the greatest commandment that's given to every human being, the greatest commandment that we are called to, to keep and to fulfill. And what is it? Scott, if you could just back up to that. Oh, there, you're there. You're, you've, you've anticipated me. Let's, let's read it together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. Folks, this is what, this is what your life needs to be about. Loving God with your whole being. And so we do that, first of all, by singing to Him. Now, nothing will make you more aware of God's presence or God's love than by singing praise to Him. This is, this is not an intellectual exercise. It's an expression of the heart. And remember, it says that we're to love God with all our heart. You've probably noticed that music and love often go hand in hand. The very first thing that, that lovers will do is they'll find music that, 
that kind of suits them. You'll hear people talk about our song. It was a song that we heard when we first got together. You know, that sort of thing. I want you to know that there are many, many love songs in the world. There are radio stations that are dedicated to this genre. But did you know that there have been more songs, more love songs written to Jesus than to anyone else in the world? Did you know that that love songs for Jesus constitute by far the the, the greatest majority of songs ever written? For 2,000 years, believers through the centuries have been expressing their love to Jesus through song. And I want you to know some today. Ready for this? Christianity is a singing religion. It's a singing faith. Because it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Almighty God that includes emotion. That's why the Bible tells us, make a joyful nose. Make a joyful noise. And I, some of you may be sitting beside someone this morning. You thought, man, that was, that was noise I was listening to. That person can't sing. Well, I, I don't want to discourage anybody from singing. Sing with all your heart, and you're bound to get one or two notes right. That's great. And that's, that's good enough. But sing out. Let your heart worship and praise him. Express what's in your heart. God wants you to sing. God wants you to experience him emotionally. Now, I've heard some people say, you know, this relationship with God, it's not all about emotion. And you're, not, you're supposed to put emotion in the back. And, and, I mean, the four spiritual laws, it tells you that emotion is the caboose on the train. And, and yeah, you know what? If you don't have emotion in your marriage, if you don't have emotion in your relationship, then you've got something really serious happening. You've got a big problem. And I have, I get, I mean, I've counseled people over, over the years. For 25 years I've been in the ministry, and I've heard it over and over again. Something has gone out in our marriage, or something's not there in our relationship. And what's the problem? I'll tell you what's happened is that there's no emotion left anymore. In fact, some would say there's no romance left. Singing is, is like romance in a relationship with God. It's, we pour our heart to God and we experience his presence like nothing else. The second thing that we're called to do is we're called to raise our hands to him. Now, maybe you didn't grow up in a, maybe a charismatic or Pentecostal background. That's okay. But I want you to know something. Way before there was ever a charismatic movement, way before there was ever a Pentecostal movement, people have been raising their hands to God in worship and praise. It's a practice that's been going on for over 3,500 years. People have been lifting their hands to God in praise, in prayer, in surrender, in petition. Israel had just come out of Egypt. You remember that? And suddenly they're surrounded by the Amalekites. Now these are not, the Israelites were not trained warriors. They were busy building pyramids and, and, uh, and making bricks without straw. I mean, they, that was their skill. That's all they could do. And suddenly they're faced with this mighty enemy. And listen, listen to what God tells Moses to do. He says, Moses, I want you to, to get before me, lift your hands in the air. And as long as your hands are in the air, the, my people, the Israelites, will be able to subdue and win the battle against the Amalekites. But the minute you drop your hands, you will begin to lose. This is a true story. You find it in the book of Exodus. And so here's, here's Moses with his hands in the air, 
What is he doing with his hands in the air? What he's doing is saying, is, God, I surrender to you. I petition you. I look to you. God, I am hopeless without you. I am helpless without you. And so at the very beginning of the Israelite experience in their relationship to God, they discovered this, that they are powerless without God's help. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart this morning. Because some of us here, many of us here, have got our cares, our concerns, our problems, our worries. And you've been trying to face it on your own. And you haven't gotten very far. And God's calling you to do what Moses did for Israel. Lift your hands to him in full surrender. Say, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I can't, I can't make it on my own. I don't have what it takes, God, to be successful. I don't have what it takes to make it through. I need your help, God. That's why we lift our hands to the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 134, verse 2, lift your, let's read it together. Lift your hands in the sanctuary and pray. I want you to recognize something. This is not, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. This is written in the Hebrew. It's it's written in the imperative. Do this thing. Lift your hands. Praise the Lord. This is not an option. This is something that you need to do if you're going to have a relationship with God and if you're going to worship Him. I don't care if you're Baptist background or Anglican background or Roman Catholic. I don't care what your background is. You don't have to be born Pentecostal or born a charismatic. In fact, nowadays, virtually, you're going to find in virtually every denomination, you're going to find people who worship God with their hands outstretched. Do you want to know why? Because it's an ancient tradition. It's an ancient part of worship. And I want to encourage you to, to forget about yourself, close yourself in with God and say, God, I'm here before you today because I need you. I need a touch from you. Have you ever heard of Mark Buntain? You've heard of the Buntain Chapel at Calvary Temple? The Buntain Chapel? was a chapel Pastor Barber had named after Mark Buntain's father, who was a pastor there at one time. It was in 1982. I just completed uh, my internship at Charleswood Gospel Temple, where I met Gloria. And I was going now to the, uh, inter- to the general conference of the PAOC, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And virtually pastors and missionaries from all over the world are gathering together at Calvary Temple. And on this one particular night, we were going to hear Mark Buntain speak. Now, I'd heard all about Mark Buntain. I'd read the book about his ministry. Um, he, was a, he was one of the sons of Calvary Temple, a great man of God. And uh, Mark Buntain was, uh, felt called into the ministry to, to become a missionary. He went to India, and he got to India, and he's, he's praying, and he's pacing, and saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to serve you? And God said, go, go for a walk down the streets of Calcutta. And that's what he did. He went for a walk. And then God said to him, Mark, look around you. And Mark looked around. And he saw on the street, not, not tens, but hundreds and thousands of, of poor Indian people, crippled and deformed. Many of, these, many of these poor kids were deformed by their parents so that when they would go out begging for food, people would take pity on them and give them money. They were more apt to get money if they were badly deformed than if they weren't. And so God... God's heart is for the broken and the hurting. And he sent Mark to these people. And God said, Mark, care for these people. Mark began to pray and he began to worship. He began to call out to God and he said, God, I can't do this thing on my own. Help! Help. 
with arms outstretched, he cried out to God. And God began to move in the hearts of people in North America, and they began to send him money. So much, in fact, that he was able to build a hospital for these people. And many of those kids who were deformed by their own parents had operations where they were put back to normal again, all in the name of Jesus, and all because of a man who was willing to say, God, hear my, use me. I went to this conference looking for Mark Buntaine, trying to scout him out. I knew what he looked like. And there he was, sitting up on the platform off to the right. And if you've ever been to Calvary Temple, it's right near the organ or where the organ used to be. I don't know if it's still there or not. And I thought to myself, boy, he looks like a real geek. <laughs> look at his clothes. He doesn't look like a very, he doesn't look very sophisticated. He doesn't look very famous to me. And then he began to, we began to sing, we began to worship. And he closed his eyes and he was clapping, he wasn't clapping on time, and he's swaying, his eyes were closed, his hands were in the air, and I thought, man, he looks like a real moron. I'm very ashamed to tell you that. I'm ashamed to tell you that that's what was in my heart, what I was thinking. And in that moment, God spoke to my heart and reminded me that that man was a man used of God. There's a man who knew how to, how to shut himself in with the Lord. There's a man who knew how to experience God like few people knew. And there I was, <laughs> not even graduated from Bible school, and I'm passing judgment on this man of God, of the way he dresses and the way he worships. And God chastened me. And God spoke to me and said, Alan, here's a man who, who has my power has my leading, my directing in his life. How dare you? I felt so, so ashamed of myself. I was so glad I didn't tell somebody else what I was thinking. But I want you to know something, my friends. When, when it comes to worship, this is, a, this is a love affair that you have with Almighty God, and he's calling you to engage him. He's calling you to, to reach out your hand to him, to hold him by Hold his hand and allow him to hold your hand. You know what I discovered? I discovered this. That when I least feel like singing, and when I least feel like lifting my hands in praise, when I least feel like closing my eyes, that's when I need it the most. Anybody agree to that? That's when you need it the most. I want to I challenge you today. To begin a new spiritual experience. The practice of worshiping God and forgetting about yourself. Oh, my friends, if you're coming here just to go through religious ritual, then you're going to be very disappointed because we don't do ritual here. What we try to do is we try to lead you in relationship to God. And when you come here to sing and to worship, listen to the words of the psalmist. Lift your hands and praise the Lord. Not as a suggestion. But rather, the psalmist being the, the worship leader as a command, as the imperative, do it, and you'll worship. When I don't feel like participating in worship, when I don't feel like getting involved, when I just want to stand still and be a, an observer, that means my heart is cold and it needs to be warmed up. Now, please understand something, my friends. 
If your heart is cold this morning, if it's, if your heart needs to be warmed up, I just invite you to close your eyes. Lift your hands and begin to worship God. Not, not just at this moment, but when it comes time to sing, I want you to do that. Allow the Spirit of God to touch your heart so that you respond to Him. Paul, in speaking to Timothy, he said this in 1 Timothy 2.8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. My friends, if, if, you're, uh, if you're just an observer, then you need to get involved and not let your mood determine whether you're going to worship God. It's, it's, not a, it's not something that depends on how you feel. It's something that you do because God calls you to do that. The third thing you need to do if you're going to worship God is you need to speak to Him. Look at it. I mean, speaking to God is just prayer, isn't it? Prayer is just speaking to God. Let's read that passage together. I love the Lord because He hears and answers my prayer. Because He bends down and listens, I will pray as long as I have breath. One of the very first things I discovered in my marriage is that it was very, very important If I was going to have a good, strong marriage, it was very important that I took time to speak to my wife and allow her to speak to me. And all the men said, oh, you're you're better than I am. All right, very good. That's what I thought. I guess I'm the slowest learner. If I was going to have a good relationship with my kids, I had to take time to speak to them and allow them to speak to me. And my kids are really good at forcing me to speak to them. They'll get right in my face. If I'm reading a book, they'll pull it right out of my hands. <laughs> it's a little bit annoying at first, but they have a right, you see, because I'm their father and they're my children. And they want me to speak to them. And I, I'm most delighted, most thrilled when my kids come to me and ask for advice. I'm most delighted when they come to me and they say, Dad, how do you do this or how do you do that or how, how can I do this better? You know, this is, this is the way it is with God. On days when you have deep, significant talks with God, your relationship grows. And when you don't have those deep, significant talks with God, your relationship begins to decay. It's, that's just the way it is. That's why people say, you know, I don't understand. Sometimes I'm so on fire for God. Other times I so, just feel so dead. I'll tell you what it is. You've been talking to God or you haven't been talking to God. Because when you talk to God, your heart's set ablaze. When you've been in the presence of Almighty God, He takes the coal from the, from the altar of heaven and touches your heart and your heart's on fire. But when you haven't experienced that, things start getting cold and start getting dull and you start losing your joy. You know, I, there's enough people in their 40s and, and late 30s to remember the days when the telephone didn't have call waiting. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember when call waiting came in, I mean, you're on the phone talking to someone, it starts beeping, you can answer that call, right? It's very annoying to those who are not used to it. Those of us who are used to it, grew up with that, no problem. At our house, we didn't have that, but we had four teenagers in the house, and our line was always busy. Why is the phone always busy at the home where there are teenagers? Anybody care to guess? I'll tell you why. Because of love affairs. <laughs> They're in love. And I, my older brother's talking to his girlfriend, and my sister's talking to her boyfriend, and I'm talking to my, my crush, and Joff's, Joff figured out a way to, uh, to, to break into the phone line so he could listen in on our conversations. Brilliant little boy. <laughs> my sister almost killed him, but what are we doing? We'll spend time on the phone. What can you talk about for an hour on the telephone? 
You just ask somebody who's in love and there's no end of discussion. And what's going on? You're getting to know each other. And what do you think about this? And what do you feel about that? And well, I, this is what I think. And what do you think? Well, that's what I think. Oh, we must be meant for each other. And you know, the, you know, the conversation goes, I feel like blue's your favorite color. It's my favorite color too. I love blue. Let's get married. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you may, you'd be amazed at the signs from God. <laughs> we like the same food. It was, it was a match made in heaven. What's going on here, folks? You're taking time to speak to each other. You're getting a chance to know each other's hearts. You're getting a chance to know one another. It's no different with God. He's calling you to come and speak to him. By the way, can I just share three things that are really hard for human beings to say to each other and especially to God? First thing is, is we have a hard time to say, God, I love you. That's a hard thing for us to do. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's too intimate. Maybe we're not used to that. I don't know. Maybe you didn't grow up that way. You're not demonstrative. We don't talk like that. Remember one, one Sunday morning, it was, it was, I mean, it was, uh, it was kind of bad at the time, but in hindsight, it's hilarious. Ready for this? Julie Capello brought, um, some, some kids from South Korea that were staying at her house. They were at university and she brought them to church and I wanted to say hi to them, but I got, kept getting held up, held up. And I saw them in the parking lot on the way to the car and, um, I went running out the door chasing after them. And saying, hey, wait, wait. They turned around, and there's this great big pastor lumbering towards them. I scared the daylights out of them. They didn't know what to do with that. I said, I just wanted to say hi and say thank you for coming. Well, I never saw them again. <laughs> they, 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 I, I meant good, but they just weren't used to having someone charge them like that, you see. I don't know, I don't know what you're used to or not used to, but I'm going to tell you this. You need to get in the habit of saying to God, God, I love you. I love you. Because you know what we're more apt to do? We're more apt to say, God, I'm mad at you. How could you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? How could you let this happen? I thought you cared about me. Where are you? How can you never answer my prayers? God, what? I can guarantee if you treated your spouse like that or your kids like that, you would have a breakdown in your relationship very quickly. You need to get in the habit of saying to God on a regular basis, Father, I love you. Thank you for loving me. The second thing that we have a hard time saying is saying, thank you, God. You're more apt to complain, God, how come you didn't answer my prayer? I want, I didn't want that. I wanted this. And how come that? And the other thing. Thank you is a very hard thing to say to God. You get in the habit of saying thank you to God and you're going to begin to see the, the, the multitude of miracles and blessings that he brings to your life on a daily basis. God calls you to worship him that way. Another thing you need to do this is really hard for us to do, is to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And yet, you know what? This is the foundation of a strong relationship with God where you worship Him and know Him. You come before Him and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for failing you. I'm sorry for letting you down. I'm sorry for sinning against you. And you know what? Look at that person beside you. I'm going to tell you, you know, that person beside you is a sinner. They've sinned against God. And you said, I can tell. (laughs) I can tell just by looking at them. I tell you, listen, my friends, all of us are in need of God's grace and forgiveness. Do you hear what I'm saying today? And you need to go to him. And this is part of your worship experience. Get before the Father and say, God, I'm sorry. And allow his grace and his forgiveness to flood your soul. This is what God wants for you. And that is when you are most alive spiritually. The third thing I want to quickly point out, fourth thing I want to point out to you quickly, is you need to spend time listening to the Father. Look what it says. 
You, uh, understand this. The ability to hear God's voice is an indication of whether or not you are actually a Christian. Did you know that? Whether or not you hear his voice will determine whether or not you have a walk with God, a relationship with God. Because the Bible says in John 10, 14 and 16, let's read it together. I am... Only, only, only sheep can hear the voice of Jesus. People who are not part of the, of Christ's fold, they can't hear Jesus' voice. That's, that's what, the, that's what Jesus says here. Now here's the thing. When you listen, if you listen to somebody, and particularly listen to God, you know what you're saying? You're saying, God, I value what you have to say. When my kids talk to me, they, Sarah will actually take me by the chin and drag my head around so I'm looking her right in the face. She's got a gift that way. <laughs> listen to me, I'm talking. <laughs> All right. When I listen, I say, I value what you have to say. I value your opinion. You're important to me. And when you're not listening to God, you know what you're saying to him? You're saying, God, you don't matter to me. You're not important. What you have to say, I don't value. And so true worship hears the voice of God. You say, Pastor, well, how do, how do I hear God speak? Well, there's many ways that God speaks. How many know that? He speaks through, first of all, the, this is the main way he speaks to us, through his, through his word. He speaks to us through the experiences of life. How many people speed when they see a camera on the street? You don't. Why is that? Because your experience says... Um, if you've had this experience, that if you go through it and it flashes, you're going to get a a nasty mail, piece of mail that says you owe 100 and... Was it 76? <laughs> How much was it again? You have learned by experience. And God speaks to us through our experiences. You've learned through trials and tribulations. God speaks through trials. God speaks through other people. That's why we have invited you to be part of 40 Days of Community, to get into a small group. Because God will speak to you in that, in that place. And God speaks to you through impressions. You feel it in your heart. It's not an audible voice, but you know in your heart. Like when I was standing there judging the geeky Mark Buntain, God spoke to me. It was an impression in my heart. Now, how often, my friends, do you take time to pause and listen to God each day? When's the last time you paused and said, God, what should I do? How should I handle this? What's the best way to, to go about dealing with this situation? Do you listen to him in the morning, in the afternoon? Do you listen to him hourly? Do you listen to him weekly, once a, once a month, occasionally, regularly, rarely? I don't know. What is it? But I'm going to tell you this. Is it the closer you are to God and the more that you're worshiping him, the more you're going to hear his voice. And I'm going to guarantee you, my friends, he wants to speak to you. He wants to tell you what's in his heart. He wants to show you how you should live. Prayer is 50% speaking to God and 50% listening to him. And he will speak if you'll take the time to be quiet and listen. Most of us, we get before God, oh, dear God, this, uh, I don't have a lot of time here, God, but uh, I've got about 10 minutes. I've got to eat my eggs and I've got to get out the door. And by the way, this is what I need. Here's my top 10 things that I need. And if you wouldn't mind taking care of this, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye now. You treat your wife like that. You treat your husband like that. You'll see how long your relationship's going to be. You'll be giving me a call and say, Pastor, we need counseling. And you know what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to say, 
You better take time to listen to each other. You better take time to speak to each other. And the same thing goes with your relationship to God. If you've got problems in your relationship to God, it's breaking down. You're not listening to him. You're not taking time for God. The fifth thing I want to share with you this morning in worshiping him is giving to him. Now, don't anybody leave. (laughs) Because the minute we talk about giving, people get all uptight. I want you to recognize this is just not passed around begging for money or asking for money. This is what the Bible says. And if you would just read this with me, please. Just as you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in complete earnestness, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. Did you know that the Bible uses the word believe 272 times? It uses the word pray 371 times. It uses the word love 714 times. But guess what? The word give is used 2,161 times. Why is that? It's because God is a giver, and when we give, we're most like God. Giving is another act of worship. It's why we, it's why we pass the plate on a Sunday morning. You might have been wondering about that. This seems like a vulgar thing to do in church, passing an offering plate. It's an act of worship. It's just as much an act of worship as prayer, as, as meditation, as, uh, as singing. It's, it's part of the worship experience. And you're saying, when you give God, I love you so much, I want to give back to you. You saved my life, and I want to give back to you. You can't buy your way with God. Understand that. But it's an expression of love. Just the way you would give your wife roses or give her chocolates at Valentine's. And if you didn't, that was really stupid of you. (laughs) Just the way you remember your wife at her birthday, right? Well, you wouldn't forget. And if you forgot once, you wouldn't forget a second time. It's why you remember each other. It's an expression of what? Of love. And when you don't, when you fail to give, you're telling the people in your life, I don't care about you. How do you spell love? G-I-V-E. That's how you spell love. Because love is something that you do. It requires sacrifice. I'm going to tell you this this morning. You gotta get this. You can give, you can give without loving, and many people do, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. If you love, then you're gonna be a giver. If you, uh, if you wanna know, how many would like to experience church the way they experienced it in the in the first century. Anybody want to experience church like the early church experienced it? I mean, there's amazing things that was taking place. Be careful how you answer that. Because if you want to experience what the early Christians experienced, and I'm telling you, it was dynamic, it was powerful, then listen to this. Listen to what they were like. This is amazing. Acts 4, 32 to 35. It's not, it's not up here, but just listen. It said, all the believers were of one heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. They shared everything that they had. And the apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Listen to this. And God's great favor was upon them all. There was no poverty among them because people who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money to the apostles to give to others in need. 
That was the first century church, my friends. You think it was all about miracles, all about people getting healed and 3,000 getting saved. My friends, we, we conveniently leave this part out. There was a great move of the Spirit amongst the people where they shared with one another. They gave. And I want you to know something this morning. You get, if you don't get anything else, get this. God tests the sincerity of your love for Him by looking at your giving. Did you know that? That's what it says in that verse. He tests the sincerity of your love by your giving. Interesting, isn't it? The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Do you want to know why God loves a cheerful giver? I'll tell you why. Listen to this. Because when you give, it's an act of faith. When you give, you're saying, I can't afford to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways And I'm going to do it with joy in my heart, knowing that my God's going to meet all my needs. You know what the Bible says? That without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that's why God loves a cheerful giver. I I never could understand why I would say that, God loves a cheerful giver. But that's why he loves a cheerful giver. Because your giving is given in faith. And that's the way to please God, my friends. There is no other way. We, we please God by taking that step of faith. The cheerful giver says, I'm going to give because it all belongs to God anyway. And he gave it to me in the first place. And can't he give it back? Yes, he can. That's the cheerful giver. Then there's the fearful giver. Cheerful giver. And a, you know what a fearful giver says? A fearful giver says, I can't afford to do this. I can't afford to give. I've got to hoard. I've got to watch what's for me. I've got to protect my self-interest. My friends, to live... As a fearful giver is to live without faith because you don't need to depend on God. You're depending upon yourself to meet all your needs. But this is not Christianity. True Christianity walks by faith and you do things that you wouldn't normally do. You do what God tells you to do. And God tests the sincerity of your love by how generous you are. And then you begin to see miracles take place. You begin to see God's provision. I just have been amazed. I, I, could, I could take another service and just tell you story after story after story of how God has provided for us. My friends, you're going to worship God. You can't forget about giving. Now, let me just close with this. You know, when I was younger, just in Bible school, I started really facing, facing my faith and what I believe and why I believe what I believe. And one of the big things that I had a real problem with was this. What kind, ready for this, what kind of an egotistic, self-centered being would demand that I worship him? Has anybody ever thought that? I did. What kind of a God requires, demands that I worship him? It took a long time for me to understand that God is not some kind of an egoistic, self-centered being. He's a loving God. Now listen to me. Listen, this is what worship is. Worship, actually the, the, the root of the word worship comes from worth-ship. Recognizing God's worth. Now here's the thing. Before God ever asked me to worship Him or to, listen, before God ever asked me to affirm His worth, guess what He did? He affirmed my worth. Think about that for a moment. 
I was just thinking about this other day, and I just I was overwhelmed. I just found I just found myself weeping before God and thanking Him. Before God ever asked me to affirm His worth, He affirmed mine. Do you know how He affirmed my worth? Do you know how He expressed His love for me, my friends? I'll tell you what He did. And if I was the only one that needed this, He would do it for me. Listen, listen to what He did. He heard the call of His Father. To go to earth for me. He left the splendor, the purity, the holiness of heaven. Something that you and I cannot imagine in this dirty, filthy world. He left all of that for me. And he came and he dwelt among us. The Bible says he pitched his tent. Not only did he come and dwell among us, my friends, he came and dwelt among people who were self-centered, violent, frail, and full of sin. This is one who was sinless, coming to live amongst those who are full of sin. And when he got here, you know what he did? He didn't live for himself. He didn't create an empire for himself where all his own needs were met. You know what he did? He came and he taught us how to be reconciled to the Father. And after that, he allowed himself to be tortured at the hands of the Romans. And after that, he allowed himself to be spiked to a cross. Even though he had done nothing wrong. Even though he was without guilt. Even though he didn't deserve it. He allowed himself to be spiked to the cross. And you know what he said? He said, I'm doing this for these that I love. He did it for you and for me. He took himself upon himself the punishment that you and I deserve. You see, it shouldn't have been Jesus' spike to the cross. It should have been me. It should have been you. He affirmed my worth. He said, Alan, you... You are so precious to me. So valuable to me. That if you were the only one, I would come and be spiked to the cross for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he has affirmed your worth. You're worth everything to him. And you know what he calls us to do in response? He calls us to affirm his worth. We do this by worshiping him. That's what we've been talking about this morning. Affirming the worth of our God. You know, the book of Revelation, it it has been used, especially in the last hundred years, as a book to talk about the end times. And we've missed out the main message of Revelation. And you know what it is? It's a message about how Jesus is worthy of our praise. Would you 
Bow your heads with me, please. And I would like to invite you to stand in the presence of the King this morning. King Jesus. Would you bow your heads and listen to the words of John the Revelator. And John said, I looked again and I heard the singing of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders. And they sang in mighty chorus, the Lamb is worthy. The Lamb who was killed, He is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea. And they also sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Let's sing together to the Lamb of God.